Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Look where that's got you. I sent you back with a mission to accomplish the mission and and you've gotten distracted in that mission and in your distraction, it's just breeding frustration. Because I want you to do this one thing, but yet you're so distracted and trying to do all these other things. You're not, according to what Matthew 6, 33, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And you're trying to add all these things to yourself, but you don't do a really good job of that. You and I don't really do a good job of that. Have you ever been distracted? Maybe you were at work and you had an important deadline, but then some other things came up. You get caught up with a coworker or you have to reorganize your desk. It's not always bad things that distract us. Sometimes it's good things. In today's message, Pastor James shares a story where the Israelites were distracted from something that God had commanded them to do. They became distracted with good things and they fell into complacency. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Haggai chapter one with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going to be in Haggai. Haggai, I don't know how you want to pronounce that, but Haggai is, I think, technically how that's said. We're going to be in this wonderful little book, all two chapters of it we're going to be covering as we go through the minor prophets. Haggai is a sweet, sweet little book. It's just awesome. It's a good one, and I think we're going to have fun with this one as well. So if you found it, because it's one of the harder ones to find, if you know, if you, you know, you might have to look in the front of your Bible and all that, that's fine. There's no shame there at all. But in between Zephaniah and Zechariah is Haggai. Okay. So let me pray and we're going to get right into this. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that, um, Lord, you're still on the throne and we can sing songs of praise to you, Lord, because you're worthy of it. And we gladly do that. Lord, we also just gladly gather together and Look to just build each other up, to edify each other, uh, encourage one another. Lord, as these days seeming like they're just getting darker and darker, what better reason for us to shine brighter, Lord? And so I pray that as we sit under your word, Lord, that you would just stoke these fires within our hearts to uh, be excited about you, first and foremost, Lord, and the work and the mission that you've called us on. But then also, Lord, just be excited about the opportunity you bless us with, to share your gospel with anybody and everybody, Lord. So we want to be about our Father's business, and so we pray that you'd help us out with that, and, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The day is not done yet. He's not done with his church, and we still get an opportunity to be about our Father's business, and that's what Haggai is about. It's just about what has God called you to do? What has he called you to do? Just do what he's called you to do. Don't lose sight. Don't lose focus. Have you ever gotten distracted in life? Yes, the answer is yes. That's a rhetorical question. So yes, it is. Haggai just kind of displays for us the importance of staying on track and staying focused. I do a lot of woodworking as my part-time job and lots of carpentry stuff. The rule of thumb with any carpentry is you measure twice and you cut once, okay? That's just how it goes because you can't cut twice. That's just not how it works. You never draw out a line that's incomplete, Or you never do it halfway. If you're cutting wood, which I was doing yesterday, putting some siding up on a house, you can't just stop in the middle and be like, oh, 
I just got distracted and, oh, I'd rather do this over here now. It's like, no, you have to finish. Finish what you started. Finish what you've been asked to do. The book of Haggai is, is all about that. What's interesting about this minor prophet is this is post-exile, okay? Most of the ones we've gone through so far are all pre-exile, like pre-children of Israel being deported to Babylon because, well, they're, they're just a bunch of rebellious sinners, and they, they broke the covenant with God, and they didn't honor him and everything that they agreed upon, and so God had let them know, if you don't own up to your part, then there's a price to pay. Okay, part of that was, you know, even Sabbath rest and, and giving a, providing a Sabbath rest for the land, which they did not do, which would equal 70 years of captivity in Babylon, because that land belongs to God. Okay, and if he says the land needs rest, the land needs rest, and we should honor that. Okay, they didn't, they get carted off to Babylon, and, and so most of our minor prophets up to this point have all dealt with leading up to that event. Haggai is actually kind of on the other side of that event. This takes place around, well, in 536 BC, King Cyrus permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem. So about 50,000 of them head back to Jerusalem. Haggai was written probably around the 520 BC mark. I mean, we have exact dates we can work with here. And he's the prophet, and he was kind of partnered up with two other individuals that we'll see in a second. But God had a message for his prophet to deliver to his people who are now free of captivity, they're free of, you know, being, you know, living in Babylon and all that. Now they're back in Jerusalem and God has sent them back for a reason. So this whole letter, two chapters long, it contains four little sermonettes from Haggai to, to the children of Israel. All right. So Haggai, just background information concerning this guy. We know very little about him. His name, we don't even technically know what his name means, but it's probably festival. And it could be Festival of Yahweh, some of the better ideas concerning that. That may have meant that he was born during a festival time. And his parents are like, well, let's just call him Festival, right? So Haggai, which Haggai sounds kind of Scottish to me, but it's, it's not. It's festive or festival, Festival of Yahweh. What's fascinating is in chapter 2, we'll see that this letter was written during the, the Festival of Tabernacles. So it's kind of cool to see how all these connections are there. But he was the prophet. He was designated as the prophet to specifically there in Jerusalem. And God sent him a message. Verse 1, chapter 1, it says, in the second year, King Darius. So, I mean, you, you can't get more precise than that, right? In the second year of King Darius. Oh, no, wait, you can. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, right? So these are his two partners in crime, so to speak. You got Zerubbabel and Joshua. So you got these three. One is kind of like the governor, and then one's the priest, and one's the prophet. And God puts these three men together, and he commissions them to lead this remnant, the small remnant, to, to finish the work, so to speak, Right? Here's the message, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Right? So we have an issue. There's been a, a command to, okay, you get to go back. And that was miraculous that God would work through a, a foreign king to release the kids basically at that time and says, yeah, you can go back and rebuild your temple. Right? Which should have just sent them over the edge concerning excitement and all that. 
they go back, and the work had kind of started, but then they lost. They just got off course. Their vision of you know what they were meant to accomplish was sidetracked due to their own, well, just kind of their own needs in one sense, right? And the Lord's going to speak to that. So verse 2, it says, Thus speaks the Lord of the host, saying to the people, The time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So here's the Lord's correction to his kids. He's like, I brought you back from Babylon to rebuild the temple. And into that process of rebuilding the temple, they may have had the foundation laid, but then they stopped. And we're like, that's good enough. All right, Lord, we did our part for you, but we really got to take care of ourselves right now. And, and it's not that they didn't need shelter. They needed shelter, but did they need shelter that was this elaborate in one sense? Their focus became not so much about reestablishing the temple within Jerusalem, but it was like, well, we did enough, but we really need to focus all of our time and energy on ourselves, on ourselves. And God's like, look where that's got you. Look where that's got you. I sent you back with a mission to accomplish the mission, and, and you've gotten distracted in that mission. And in your distraction, it's, it's just breeding frustration because I want you to do this one thing, but yet you're so distracted and trying to do all these other things. You're not, according to what Matthew 6, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And you're trying to add all these things to yourself, but you don't do a really good job of that. You and I don't really do a good job of that. But when we seek first the kingdom of God, he knows how to take care of those needs we have. And what we know is that he's not a God who is like, who lacks compassion. He's called the good shepherd from Psalm 23. He is the good shepherd. And a good shepherd knows how to shelter and provide for his sheep. So really the Israelites within this story are, they're worrying about things that they shouldn't have worried about. It's not like they were living homeless on the streets of Jerusalem. God wouldn't have called them back if he didn't have a plan for them. But he wanted to put straight within their hearts and their minds, my house has to come first. My house has to come first. The temple has to come first. And then they got off track. They, they got sidetracked and, and they began to build paneled houses for themselves. All the while, the temple of the Lord lied in ruins. And verse 6 just kind of elaborates on the, the byproduct of this lifestyle, this way of living. If you're going to live for yourself, well, then don't be surprised if, you know, you are sowing much, but you're not bringing, there's no reaping that's happening there, or you're, you're never satisfied. You're just never satisfied. Like, if you want to, this is worldly wisdom, pursue your wants and your desires. Would that get you nowhere? I mean, we have hundreds, if not thousands of examples of that in front of our face every single day with celebrities and athletes. They have everything they could 
possibly want and yet are still not satisfied? Could it be that their, well, their, their desires are misplaced? We know that. Seek first the kingdom of God. He knows how to take care of your needs. This is what Israel, they got off track and they were missing this. And Haggai, through the Lord, is correcting them saying, look, we're off track. We've lost focus. We need to recenter our focus back onto the Lord. Okay, you remember what got us deported, right? You remember what happened. We don't want to go back to Babylon. We need to stay focused. This is a good thing for us personally. This is also a good thing for us corporately. As a church, have to stay focused on what God has called us as a congregation to do, but also we have to stay focused on what God has called you as an individual to do as well. And when we lose sight, when we lose focus, and then and this speaks to like my life, like I can see their actions just lived out in me. Because anytime I get my eyes off the Lord, I start stressing about trying to accomplish this and make this happen and make, and, and I got all these great ideas and schemes and everything, but the Lord's not involved. And so when he's not involved, then the stress levels get higher and then the frustration gets higher. And then we, we oftentimes will turn on God and like, God, where are you at? And he's like, well, I've been here. Can you just trust me? Like, let's just, let's start and finish well. Okay. So this is where they find themselves. They've gotten off track, and Haggai is put there by God to remind them of what the mission is. Verse 7, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is a common phrase throughout the entire, the entire letter. We've already seen it once in verse 5. Consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruin, while every one of you runs to his own house. Like, you've established your own dwelling place, but you've neglected my dwelling place. What's kind of cool about this is, like, for us on this side of the cross, and we can read through the New Testament and see that even Peter addressed this of, like, I mean, we know this. What is the church? The church is not a building. It's the people. And so if the people are like the dwelling places, Paul would write to the church in Corinth, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, right? Like you're a temple. This kind of speaks to us in a very personal level as well. Are we keeping up with the very dwelling place that God has selected and chosen to occupy within us? And we're going to get into some specifics concerning that, but I, I don't want you to get into this mindset of like, well, this is like BC stuff, and we're talking about a temple that doesn't even stand anymore, and it doesn't, it's not relatable today. No, it's completely relatable today, and it, I think the church actually misses it probably, because we think in these broad terms where it's like, well, does the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? Okay, so it kind of makes you a temple, right? So how's the temple? How's that? Or are you just distracted with this and that, and I got to, what would the Lord have to say to me concerning this place that he occupies? Do I have ears to hear? And a hopefully enough sense to, if there's correction, that I, I do what's necessary, you know, within a correction. But we can't have his house in ruins. 
Everybody else is sleeping good at night, and it's not like God's like, I got no place to live, right? We know that he doesn't need the temple, but what the temple represents is like, I should be the main thing in Jerusalem, but I'm not the main thing in Jerusalem. It would be as if we were a church and we neglected not just the word of God, but God himself. Jesus should be the main thing about every single church. If Jesus isn't the main thing about our church, then you're not a church, Okay, and if you are, then it's not a healthy church. So God's like, my house is in ruins, but you guys are doing just fine. Something's wrong. Something's off there. So this is a nice, gentle rebuke, and this rebuke will lead to a good response. So verse 10, it says, therefore, the heavens above withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. This is the consequences to their... um, I'm going to label it as kind of their selfishness, all right? For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands, right? God's like, um, if you're not catching on to like, man, we're planting all this stuff, we're doing all this work, and nothing's happening, God's like, yeah, because I'm not letting it happen. I'm not letting it happen. They're like, oh, God, that's so mean. You're so cruel. And he's like, well, maybe you're off. Like, maybe I need to get you back because the heavens that have been shut off can be opened up again. It's not like God's like, well, you blew it this one time, so we're forever done. He's just getting a hold of their attention so that they can correct course. And he would gladly open up the heavens again. Gladly. If in your life you're feeling this, in a spiritual sense, it's like, and I'm not saying every season of barrenness is due to you being off track, okay? I'm not going there, but that might be true. But it might be true. If we're honest, like, how many seasons of drought have I been through personally where it's like, it's not so much like a lesson that God is like showing me, but it's, it's a direct result of me just getting off track with him. I mean, that can be true. He can withhold the rain, so to speak, in your life because he needs to get a hold of your attention. All right, a loving God, a loving heavenly father knows how to gently correct his kids. And sometimes that means, well, all that work you're putting into that, that farmland, you're not going to get any crops. You'll still be fine. They're not starving to death, but they're just not getting what they want, though. So we got to put God first. God has to be put first, and this is what he's laying out for these guys. I must come first. God must come first above everything, everything. That is the order. Like God first, then marriage, then family, career, calling, all that stuff. God first. He has to be number one. He has to be number one. And you're not neglecting anyone or anything by putting him first in your life. Actually, you're enriching it. You're doing that a favor. Whatever that is, you're doing it a favor by putting God first in your life, making him top priority. So that's all he's asking of these guys. I need to be first. Verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, that's how you say it, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. So it's like mission accomplished. 
Haggai gets up there and he's like, look, here's what God has told me. And they couldn't deny it, right? Because all you had to do was look over to the rubble. That's all you had to do, right? Like, we've been here for 16 years. 16 years. Maybe 15. That's still a pile of rubble. And you can't deny that. There's no arguing with God about that. Like, okay, God, this is what you called me to do. 16 years down the road, if it's still a pile of rubble, you are off track, okay? God hasn't done anything wrong. I'm off track if it's still a big old mess, okay? Yeah, but the foundation's laid. Yeah, but why are there still stones still on top of each other in not an organized manner, but a very disorganized manner, right? Why isn't it the structure built? It's only going to take them four years to build the structure after this point. Four years to build the temple. They've been there 16. So they laid the foundation. They're like, this is really hard. Yeah, it's hard work. I think I'd rather just work on my own house. Okay. 16 years later, Haggai shows up and he's like, um, I'm sorry, but God gave me a message. It's like, we, you need to explain this mess. Well, you know, we, we need places to live. Yeah, you've had that for 16 years. What, what about his house? What about his calling upon your life? Like, you got set free from Babylon specifically for this thing. I'm glad your house is paneled. I'm glad it's nice. But his is still in ruins. Well, we didn't have time. You had 16 years. And it's only going to take you four to build the temple. So there's no excuse, right? Like, there's no denying it. So they heard the word, and all they had to do was, like, he probably was standing on the rubble of the temple, probably, and like, hey, we got to fix this. And they responded to the word of God, which is always smart. It's always smart. And what you can feel, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but reading through this letter several times, studying through it and all that, my takeaway concerning like the Lord is like, I, my goal is I just want to always hear the heartbeat of God when I'm like approaching a text. Like I just want to hear his heart. And even within this correction, it's like, he's so gentle. He's so loving. Like, I mean, this is, he's dealt with these knuckleheads for so many years and that's uh, their flat out rebellion and idolatry and wickedness and all that. And, and then he gets them back from Babylon. He's like, I just want you to build my house. And they still haven't accomplished that, but he's so loving and so gentle and so compassionate, and he knows how to send a prophet at the right time to say, hey, I think it's time to get back to work. I think it's time to get back on track. The leaders and the workers come together to accomplish the mission, which is always how it should be. If we're going to accomplish God's work, it's going to take leaders and workers coming together to accomplish the mission, which is what you have from, whether it be the governor, to the high priest, to the prophet, they all go all hands-on with all the other laborers to accomplish the project. So it's just a beautiful kind of imagery that's there. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So good. So good. Like, it's amazing. He's like, you're off track. My house is still in ruins. Your houses look great. You know, HGTV, all that good stuff. Like, you're doing awesome. You're killing it. But my house is in shambles. I think it's time to get back on track. Time to get back on track. They like, they come together and they're like, you're right. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken. 
Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.